this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Lucinda Perry-Jones. Lucinda is the principal at Accelerate Change. This company provides professional consultation services to nonprofits in leadership, financial sustainability, and much more, much more, and ever pivoting, right, Lucinda? Because that's our world. Hi, Lucinda. Hi, Mish. Thanks for having me. I'm so honored to be included in the wacky and the wild friends that you have. <laughs> well, those are, you know, those are the people I attract, so what can I say? <laughs> but thank you, and I've known you for quite a while. I, I knew you when you were the Operation Food Search guru and, and all the amazing things you did to grow that not-for-profit and help them to become a sustainable not-for-profit, which there's magic in that what not-for-profit doesn't want to get to that status, right? Right. Operation Food Search is, is rocking and rolling. And now you're here to help all those not-for-profits mm-hmm. do what you were able to do with Operation Food Search. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that because not-for-profit is a big world. There's a lot of them. Um, I know many of us start them and go, oh, my heart, my heart is in this. And we're like, Oh, wow, this is a lot of work, right? Yes, definitely. Running a, a nonprofit is both a, a privilege and a, uh, an honor to do, but it also takes a lot of dedication and a lot of skills beyond the passion that people bring to uh, the mission. Exactly. I mean, it, believe me, coming from TEDx St. Louis, whew, yeah. We're, and we're, and we're always changing and making it better and building out what we're doing. And so for all you not-for-profits out there, just know, I mean, it, you can make this happen, but it, it is going to take some work and some smarts. So let's talk about some of the things that you can share with not-for-profits to help them know what they need to, you know, what do they need to do to grow? And I know that a big part of what you're doing is you're working with leaders, at not-for-profits and what they can do to grow. Right. So my company is called Accelerate Change. And uh, my mission is to help organizations and individuals supercharge their ability to both lead and adapt. And if there's anything that we've learned over the last few months, it's the importance of, of organizations and individuals being able to take a situation and think about how can they adapt and and roll with with the punches, so to speak, and not be frozen in a model that really doesn't work anymore or serve the organization. So what I love to do is work with um, organizations that are looking at ways to really amp up their effectiveness for both their mission and the work that they do in in the community and building a stronger set of stakeholders that are also tied to that mission. And that's what helps them to become really sustainable. That's what helps them to keep, to continue to move forward and then to grow and expand upon all these great things that they're doing along the way. You know, nonprofit leaders take on some of the most entrenched social problems of our time. And unfortunately, 
the siloed methods of an organization being single issued is really not sustainable anymore because we see that all of these issues tie to each other. Um, I can take the example of working in the food systems world. And although in the past it had been uh, sufficient to give food to people, provide food access to people uh, through food pantries and rescued food and that sort of thing, um, you begin to realize that simply giving people food isn't enough anymore, that it's also tied to health outcomes. It's tied to economic uh, viability and really looking at how can you can lift the organization up economically so that, you know, in the future, the, the dream could be that you wouldn't need food banks anymore. So right. really it's, it's um, you know, this call from being more single issued has has come to the need to look at the root causes of what are the, you know, what perpetuate uh, the system's injustices from continuing. So when, and when you're talking about, you know, the non-for-profits and the siloed part, is that one of the things I feel like I've noticed is that there's a not-for-profit that does whatever it is. And then there's another one and another one. And there's like 10 of them that are, you know, and they're all operating on their own. And I always think, have you guys ever thought of getting in the same room and joining forces? And you know what I mean? Right. Well, collaboration is, again, an essential leadership um, ability that is really becoming more pronounced. And the 21st century uh, nonprofit leader is is going to have to have that spirit of collaboration of being able to open up their their heart and their mind to including different organizations to come together and have the leadership skills to lead those conversations and to lead um, to to act cooperatively to really listen to the variety of voices and be able to chart a leadership path and a strategic direction that is uh, less focused necessarily on that organization and maybe more focused about how do we solve this issue? How do we get to solving the problem? Right, exactly. And that's going to be an ongoing conversation that when it comes to funding, when it comes to um, working with government, uh, when it comes to working with with um, other indiv individuals in terms of donors, people are wanting to look at organizations that are getting to the solutions and not just putting band-aids on, on problems. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, band-aids are not going to help anything. <laughs> or they well, might hurt. They like, have, a certain, they have a, cer a certain need, right? Like, if, Right. You got to get the immediate you, stuff you've done. Get, you've got to help stabilize people where they are. But it can't just be that strategy. You right. really have to look at what is that short-term outcome for that individual or for that family. And... And think about then what is, you know, what is the long-term goal for this too, so that um, you're bringing together that whole strategy as opposed to just putting all of your eggs in, in one, that one basket, so to speak. <laughs> and, and let's talk about the leaders because, you know, if you're going to lead a not-for-profit, there is a, if you're going to lead anything, there is more, there's a lot more to know. And even the best of leaders we have 
the blind spots, which is something that you talk about a lot about what are your blind spots? They're, They're those things that you don't know about yourself, but boy, when someone points it out, it's like, oh, wow. You know, so how do you, so then how does the leader deal with that blind spot, right? Yeah. So one of the best things that a leader can do is to become really self-aware about what that impact uh, of that particular leader's behaviors, how that impacts um, the people around them. And we don't always know how our actions uh, might affect others. And sometimes when we're in the heat of that moment where we really have to get something done or there's a deadline or there's stress, we're really more concerned about getting that thing done as opposed to thinking about what the impact of our actions are on that on that person that we're dealing with that could really, you know, we could be causing them stress. And so what happens is this, this whole ball of stress just, you know, just um, explodes. And that's when you start to begin, you know, to, to have dysfunctional organizational settings where people don't feel safe. And so it's really important um, to, as a leader, and when I say leader, I'm talking about um, just because you have positional power doesn't mean that you're the only leader. There are leaders right. throughout the entire organization and that um, that it would help everyone to be able to uh, be able to identify their blind spots. Well, and you and the leaders throughout your organization, you have to empower them to lead. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't be giving them the, here's what you have to do exactly how I do, because that's how I do it. And it really is awesome. And I can't see another way to do it, right? You right. have to let them do their own thing. And if they make a mistake, guess what? They they need, they'll learn from that mistake. If they don't, that's right. a problem. But, you know, they'll learn from their mistakes and that helps with their growth. Well, I love that you use the word empower because that is um, a leadership quality that again, can be learned uh, because the opposite of empowering leadership is micromanaging. And I know that all of the listeners out there probably have their own stories of micromanaging, whether it's in your household, it could be your spouse is a micromanager, or it could be that you've worked in an organization where there hasn't been that empowering spirit and there is a fear of failure at everything that, um, that you might Uh, suggest in terms of a new system. And guess what? When you have that sense that you can't fail forward and that there will be some kind of penalty involved for it, it really stifles innovation. And when we talk about all of the big problems that we have to solve out there and in the business world and the nonprofit world and government, the last thing that we need are are barriers to innovation. We need to think about um, ways that we can say yes instead of no. Exactly. And micromanaging, it it really makes me crazy. Well, it makes a lot of people crazy. And I think that I I do have a lot of empathy for for leaders that um, might not understand that they are a micromanager. And so I think that, again, this effort to really dig deep and to ask questions of the people who you lead, to um, check in with them about how you're showing up 
And to create this safe space to be able to take feedback as a leader, it's a really empowering type of of style that um, the leader can feel just as as um, safe and uh, as as the team member when there is that um, that space that is crafted just for that because the leader is always giving feedback to the to the staff member. So um, it's, if you're really thinking about this from a team perspective, then it should be that 360 type of, of experience because the leader can learn a lot about themselves as well. And leadership is hard, you know, so that's the other part of it. It's like, it's it's a hard thing to do because you are trying to, you're trying to move this massive thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and you want it to be done well. And so there's so much to keep in your head. And, and that alone, I think is the reason why you have to empower your. That's right. That's why you need to look at your, at your staff as, as partners in this effort and that the leader doesn't have to be a lone ranger and feel like that everything is on his or her shoulders. Um, It takes too many people to, to make, to make massive changes. And so if there's a perspective of, of um, really utilizing your team and drawing out their talents, then the pressure is going to be taken off of you. And you can also look great because great leaders are people who let others in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And one of the things you said to me that I was like, gosh, it's really true. But you were saying, be willing to let those people go at some point. Like they have grown out of your organization. It's time for them to go off on their own and do something, which has to be kind of scary for a leader because you put so much time and effort and this person has developed their own what have you at the place. And now they're like, I have grown so much. It is now time for me to move on. Right, right. And uh, that's a that's a milestone to be celebrated. And it's really sad sometimes to let, you know, to let people go and um, who have been such great staff members and contributed so much. Um, but when they go to another organization and they're able to really embrace what they learned in your organization and from your leadership, that's a, that's a compliment. And uh, it's, it's something that should be celebrated. And I understand the mourning phase as well. <laughs> And you've got, I know you have a really good talk that you can share with people. So if an organization is looking just to kind of get a feel for what does this leader, what are the leadership blind spots and how do you at least start moving the needle on figuring those out? You've got a really good talk around that. I do. It's called uh, Leadership Blind Spots. You can't fix what you can't see. And I use humor to really bring out what are some of the the most glaring leadership blind spots that people have. And some of them we've talked about today, things like micromanaging and whether or not you withhold important information and a lot of other uh, leadership blind spots, but it's done from a place of humor and most of all, just encouraging people, giving them the permission to feel vulnerable and to know that they are not in these roles alone. And the more that you open yourself up, the more that you can, um, you know, feel that, that it really 
can increase your confidence as a leader. And so where can people find you? So people where can, can find people me. find you so they can get you to come talk to them? <laughs> find me. I have a landing page for my website. The company is still so new. I still don't have a full-fledged website, but it's in the works. In the meantime, there's a landing page. You can uh, click on the uh, calendar and schedule a 15-minute free consultation with me. And um, you can also reach me at my email address, which is Lucy, L-U-C-I, at achangeconsulting.com. Awesome. So I have some fun, some fun questions. Are you ready for fun questions? Of course. Is your wild, wacky friend? Bring it up. Yes. Let's hear it. Okay. I want to know, what is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> My guilty pleasure. Oh, goodness. I have a lot of them to, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> That's good. Gosh, uh, one of them would be, <laughs> I just uh, have this, this app on my phone and it's a coloring app and, oh, fun. and I, you. That's I, good. I spend more time than I'd like to admit of, of coloring on my app. Um, but does it bring your stress down? Like, isn't that the, it's just like this thing that you can do and you don't have to think too much, but it's fun. Right. It's fun. And I, you get to land on, on a, well, first of all, it's, it's all right there. So you have, you know, you just have to point your finger and there, and then in that space is colored. And then at the end, you get this beautiful colored picture with all these bright colors. I love it. Something I love so it. rewarding about taking, you know, putting um, this from a, a, you know, black and white, all just numbers, and then it com- becomes color. So um, I totally get it. It's it's nice to listen to music. Um, I it's it's really some of my reflection time about what was I able to accomplish during the day. What do I want to accomplish? So it's really more of just. Uh, because I work at home now, it's a division between work and sort of stop time of right. this is this is transition time where, um, you know, my home is my home now, not my workspace. So I think it's important for people to have something that uh, delineates that that transition in your workday if possible. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, and it's here to stay this work at home. That's I mean, right. it's a lot of corporations are sticking with it. Um, there's a lot of people that have discovered they actually like it, you know, and yeah. so it, it's definitely here to stay, but you do need to have that healthy boundary between work time and home time. That's right. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. And totally agree on the app thing. I've got one called, I think it's, what is it? Cradle of Empires. And my village people are super happy. I just got them a bunch of beer last night. So oh, they're, they're, they're I'm like taking care of my entire place. Well, you know? but they, they could have a headache this morning after drinking all <laughs> that beer, but you know, that's okay. I don't know. I keep finding myself at the candy factory though. So they, they got candy too. It's, it's good. Good stuff for this empire. I'm running over here. <laughs> all right. So. I was thinking about you because every time I talk to you, I always feel like you're just, you just, there's just like, it's like flowers and rainbows, you know, coming out of Lucinda. You're always in this really optimistic, lovely mood. So tell me something magical that has happened to you lately. 
Magical that has happened to me lately. Wow. Uh, I think that what has been magical for me during this transition of consulting is just the generosity of people. I'm just amazed at how many people want to to help connect me to to others, how many um, people are are willing to introduce me, um, just the the um, the generosity of people. I mean, I, I think that that's just a magical miracle every day. Um, I love hearing someone that. That shows you kindness and you're able, they don't ask for anything in return necessarily. Um, and I think that's just a magical way to give positive energy. Right. And it's what you, you will do as well. You I mean, you are generous with right. your time. I mean, it, it, you know, what goes around comes around kind of thing, which is interesting that you talked about kindness because that's a big deal mm-hmm. right now with me. You. Um, and that was going to be my next question. So it's kind of like the same question, but a little bit different in that I'm asking you to share with us, like, have you witnessed an act of kindness or given, you've obviously received one, you've been talking about the receiving of kindness, but have you witnessed one or, or have you given any kindness as of late that we can talk about? Yeah. So, so a couple of things that I'm doing is working with a couple of individuals who, um, who want to advance their leadership skills and they're looking for new opportunities. And so I'm helping them do that. And then I'm also a really happy volunteer for TEDx. <laughs> you have no idea how, how helpful that is. I mean, cause it, we need it. it, you know, I mean, and we are a 100% volunteer organization, as you know. So these volunteers are there. They love that ideas worth spreading. They love showcasing St. Louis because that's what we do as, as a TEDx. And it's amazing to have you help us to grow and see our leadership blind spots, um, but also to understand how to really create that sustainable system. So mm-hmm. you're not constantly running around, you know, saying, help me, help me, help me, help me make this happen. You know, it's important and here's why. And of course it's important, but there's a lot of important things out there. So thanks there for helping is, but, us. Um, TEDx is, is really rewarding. I love working with the people. And again, it's just that act of, of giving that when you give, you will receive. And when you receive, it prompts you to give back again. So it just becomes this really wonderful circle of kindness. Yay. Well, thank you, Lucinda. Thanks. I love and adore you, as you know. Excuse me? I love and adore you. So thank you so much (laughs) for being on my my podcast. (laughs) I mean, you know, sometimes I'm like, I have my friends on because I feel very honored that I am surrounded by people that are loving and kind and want the best for our world. And you're one of those people. So thank you so much. And you for me too, Mish. Thank you so much. Kisses, hugs. So everybody out there, you have been listening to Mishmash. All right, head on over to Facebook and look up 100th ME, 100THME. That is our Facebook group that is all about kindness. Post about kindness, talk about kindness, share your kindness. It makes the world go around and we need more of it. Thank you all so much. 